From Argus Media, this is Driving Discussions, a podcast series focusing on the forces that affect road fuels globally. Greetings and salutations once again. I'm Jason Metko, spot ticker reporter here at Argus. And on this episode, we're talking about the current state of affairs with U.S. retail fuel prices and how this year's summer driving season will be impacted. Our guest today, Stephen Jones, Senior Vice President and Global Head of Oil Products here at Argus. Mr. Jones, a pleasure to have you back on the presentation yet again. We have basically now reached the summer driving season as Memorial Day has come and gone. And the $64,000 question that so many people are asking, why are retail fuel prices so high? Please enlighten us, sir. That's a great question, Jason. And thanks for having me again on driving discussions here. You know, there's been a lot going on in the gasoline market, and yes, Memorial Day came and went, and travel trends look pretty positive despite record high prices, and it is affecting people's uh, attitudes and whatnot, but we seem to still be incurring the high prices and continue our driving habits in the U.S. anyway. But why are prices so high right now? Um, It all comes down to really crude oil prices. Believe it or not, crude oil prices account for the majority of the overall gasoline price level that we see. You know, when WTI crude or the NYMEX recently has been about $117 a barrel and the RBOB gasoline contracts at almost $4.20 a gallon, that makes up basically crude 66 plus percent of the price of gasoline. And when we look at historical averages, no matter what price level we're at from a crude oil and gasoline price relationship, typically it's been in this range, about 68% or so on annual averages. So the bottom line is, you know, crude price makes up two-thirds of the price of a gallon of gasoline. And when crude prices move, gasoline prices move. Uh, We also got to keep in mind that there are other, you know, the other one-third of the price of gasoline is Uh, a a large parts made up by taxes, which are relatively constant. So when crude prices go up, that percentage is declined somewhat as a percentage overall price a gallon. But it's still, you know, price of taxes on gasoline are 5 to 20 percent, depending which state you live in. Uh, Federal excise tax is over 18 cents a gallon, and some states are as low as 15 cents and others as high as 68 cents a gallon. So there's a, quite a bit of lumpiness around the states, if you will, on that price level impact, but it's constant, but still makes up 5 to 15 plus percent of the price of a gallon of gasoline. And then you got, you know, the balance, which is, you know, around one fourth of the whole price is the cost of refining, marketing and distribution costs. And those costs, they do escalate when the price of diesel fuel to move product to market increases. The cost of risk, premiums, and hedging all weigh in on those costs. So they, too, float uh, upward when the overall market volatility increases. And there are times when refining margins are really rough, and sometimes uh, they contribute very little to the overall percentage price of a gallon of gasoline. So overall, uh, you know, there's those major components, but the the sleeper that us in the trade understand, but the general consumer does not, is that we got the renewable volume obligation. The renewable fuel standard requires the the retirement of blending, uh, basically renewable fuels or ethanol in terms of gasoline into each gallon of gasoline. So the all overall renewable volume obligation, the price is returned to near record highs 
currently it's accounting for about 20 cents per gallon, which is equivalent to about 7% of the cost of a gallon of gasoline at present. So all told, you know, it really comes down to crude price being the biggest swing factor and the RVO being a quiet, less visible number uh, to the consumer that also floats on the market trade for the refiners being the obligated party uh, to have to incur that cost that is a blend value of the renewable fuels into the transportation pool. Our guest is Stephen Jones. He's the Senior Vice President of Global Head of Oil Products at Argus Media. Stephen, let's dive more into crude specifically here. We know we've still got the lingering effects of the pandemic, the Omicron variants going through China at the present moment. We've got the Russia-Ukrainian conflict as well. Uh, What else other than those two things are really contributing, in your estimation, to the rising price of crude? Well, that's a that's a tough one. Uh, there are multifaceted issues here in the crude price uh, level support from the fundamentals, but it all boils down to you know we we're coming out of Omicron, uh, things were starting to firm, and then China went through lockdowns. We have rising economic headwinds, which basically slowed the relative price rises for crude, even though we were at the eighty, you know, seventy eighty dollar a barrel level. We quickly jumped up with the Russian Ukrainian conflict you know, that's escalated the supply disruptions significantly, at least the concerns about them at this point. Uh, In reality, we've seen not tremendous impact on total loss of supply, but we've seen a huge change in supply trade patterns uh, where we're seeing discounted Russian crude sold into Asian markets at tremendous discounts, which is being processed and producing product that ends up in longer haul trade to clear the market and make up for loss of product supplies elsewhere. So there are huge inefficiencies, trade pattern disruptions, higher costs that are all additive to the ultimate product. Uh, And for the non-Russian crudes, they traded a premium now uh, relative to the discounted Russian crude. And that's why we see outright crude prices in the you know, the 115 to 120 dollar mark right now. And many market analysts were calling for 140 plus dollar crude uh, due to the supply interruptions, the supply losses. And I think the fact that we hadn't seen those levels is indicative of the fact that we hadn't truly lost the supply yet. Uh, but now we're moving into, you know, the recent approval last weekend of the European Union looking at a ban on Russian oil. Um, basically, they're going to stop buying Russian crude that's delivered by sea in the next six months and stop buying refined products in the next eight months or so. Uh, but the bottom line is that was already expected and anticipated. It's just being approved and a commitment being made as originally discussed earlier in the conflict that we're now in day 100 of. Uh, so we're, we're well into 100 days of this conflict with crude prices oscillating in the 115, 120 level uh, with a mapping, if you will, of EU and other sanctioned countries backing off of the Russian supplies, which are now appearing in other markets. So bottom line, yeah, crude prices are elevated. We haven't hit you know, the historic highs yet. Uh, not saying we necessarily will. I think we'll work around part of that in redistributing the supply and see continued increases from OPEC and non-OPEC alike. Uh, but, you know, Brent historic high was about $144 back in July 2008. 
recently, we've seen a high of just under $141 back in March during the initiation of the conflict, if you will. And now we're, we're you know, seeing prices return on a rise from a recent low in late April that was as low as $97 or so. Uh, so we're, you know, we're seeing that upward pressure as, you know, we move into stronger demand season in the U.S., um, higher throughputs in general, and uh, a concern around the further sanctioning of the Russian supply into the EU. And uh, and so that is what's driving, you know, gasoline price overall, for that matter, diesel prices and even marine fuels that we're seeing near record highs of in some ports. Stephen, how much does refining capacity factor into all this? Because let's be honest, you and I can't go out, get a barrel of crude and put it in our car. That's for sure. Uh, although people were putting gasoline in, in bags and, and non-safe containers during hurricane disruptions, we're not going to put crude in our car for sure. The refining capacity has been a, a, a real concern noted by many refining analysts. Uh, to some extent, we have lost a fair amount of capacity during COVID that came offline that was just uneconomic, uh, wasn't warranted for the outlook. Uh, to invest the capital to return some of these capacities to operating conditions. And in some cases, some capacities have been converted to processing renewable feedstocks, ultimately as part of the larger decarbonization program to help address climate change initiatives and take advantage of carbon credits, things of that nature. The bottom line, yeah, we've lost, you know, maybe around a, a million barrels or so in the U.S., more capacity elsewhere in the market, but we were generally long in capacity to some extent, especially when we have new capacities that are and expansions that are occurring in the Middle East and Asia, and even Mexico's building a new refinery, uh, the Dos Bocas, now called Omeca refinery, that's due to start up in 2023. So bottom line, there is a little bit of relief ahead um, and some changing of the capacity lineups. But right now, when we look at current refinery runs, the U.S. is hitting about 93% of its lower capacity, uh, 93% utilization of an overall lower capacity, uh, having accounted for the loss of some through the past year or two. And the Gulf Coast in particular is around about 95% of capacity utilization, which many people worry is whether it's sustainable or, or not. But, you know, on a stream day basis, you can run 100 plus percent and average out uh, these high 90 numbers for an extended period. Uh, and when we take into account the fact that Europe is increasing refinery runs to make more distillate supply, diesel fuel and whatnot, that they're very dependent upon Russian supplies for, uh, they're increasing runs not to balance gasoline, but to make diesel. And believe it or not, if they increase runs one and a half to two million barrels a day in Europe from the March, April lows to, you know, uh, say, June, July, August timeframe, you know, an increase of 2 million barrels a day in Europe would be another three to 400,000 barrels a day of gasoline, gasoline blend components that they presumably don't need and would be available for export. So I think the market is going to be tight, but I don't think we're going to end up with major uh, shortages or major disruptions on the gasoline side that is going to spike the gasoline margins beyond just what the crude price levels will dictate as making up the majority of gasoline price support. He is Stephen Jones. I am Jason Metko. This is Driving Discussions, a production of Argus Media. Stephen, you and I were talking beforehand, and 
I found this topic interesting and sort of the overall premise of this um, description. Demand destruction. That sounds pretty scary in some respects. It also sounds a bit controversial. Can you tell us a little bit about that term and how it might impact the U.S. gasoline markets or overall demand for that matter? Sure, Jason. Um, there's been a lot spoken to in headlines in the press lately about high prices creating demand destruction. And in concept, it's a very clean principle that as prices rise, consumers re reduce their consumption of a product. And on a global basis for petroleum products, when prices rise, it impacts economies, slows economies, slows commerce, and ultimately reduces demand. Therefore, it's called demand destruction. However, when we look at the price rises on, in the U.S. for gasoline, it's a little nuanced. It's totally different. We assume that principle cleanly applies to the U.S. gasoline consumer in the gasoline market. And it's easy to make that assumption because we're all taught in school in Economics 101 that there is, you know, demand price elasticity. As prices rise, demand falls because it kills demand and the market finds a new equilibrium price and continues on. But for the U.S. gasoline market, you know, when you, when I look at a 20-year period of monthly average gasoline prices compared to U.S. gasoline demand, there is no correlation of demand destruction. The chart's essentially just a large scatter plot with no trend, no identifiable correlation. Uh, for those that are into statistics, the R-square is like 0 0.007. It's uh, non-existent. But that doesn't mean that consumers aren't affected by gasoline prices, just to be clear. It just means that there is no clear pathway for price relationship to a consumer in the overall average of the market reducing demand directionally in response to that. You know, consumers, there will be marginal consumer reduction, but for the most part, people still have to drive to work. They have to go to school, they go shopping for groceries, they're going to take care of the family. And for that matter, they're going to take vacations this summer to some extent because we still have pent-up demand from past year's lockdowns. Uh, people are going to incur and make trade-offs and cover that gasoline bill and stop going to the movies, eating out, shopping. Um, it, it's going to be real hardship for many people that are, you know, running um, paycheck to paycheck right now. Uh, and, and we have to recognize that. But in reality, uh, the demand level support for some of those consumers weren't that large a contribution to the overall demand picture to begin with. So demand destruction is real for the petroleum market overall. However, as prices rise, it, you know, we're going to see the impact on the cost of producing goods and moving goods to market, and that will impact the economy. We're already seeing it in outright inflation, and that's going to slow overall petroleum demand. But for gasoline season, it's uh, demand destruction is very much misunderstood. And I do think that we will eventually see a slowing of the U.S. economy is going to affect our overall U.S. demand and ultimately gasoline. But it's not directly due to retail price uh, as a direct relationship to what we would see this summer for uh, the ultimate overall consumption in the market. A couple more minutes here with Stephen Jones, Senior Vice President, Global Head of Oil Products at Argus Media. Well, Stephen, as we mentioned in the beginning, the summer driving season is nigh upon us. We've passed Memorial Day. 
what are expectations here for the 2022 summer driving season? And keep in mind, too, we haven't really thrown out the proverbial wild card yet. That's the hurricane season, which, as of this recording, started a couple of days ago. We've already got a tropical storm warning for Florida. Yeah, uh, let's let's take those in, in sequence, right? So what's ahead for this summer? I think, you know, when we compare to the fact that record high monthly demand in the U.S. was set in August 2019, just before COVID, right into the end or peak of gasoline season, we had 9.8 million barrels a day of gasoline consumption. After COVID, during our initial recovery in August 2021, same month, two years later, we were back to 9.1 million barrels a day, which is, you know, a couple of 700,000 barrels a day lower than the all-time high. However, when we look at where we are in March of this year, demand was already back up to 8.8 million barrels a day, which was 3% higher than the March of the prior year. And yeah, we hit a slow spot, a slump, if you will, in April, uh, but it's since been on an upward trend ever since. And yeah, the, the trend is directionally below last year, but it is on the rise. And I think that we're going to stomach the high prices and continue to see uh, rising demand through the balance of summer. Everyone talks about how negative demand is by comparing it to pre-COVID levels. But in actuality, we never really would have expected to immediately pop back to 2019 peak, which was all-time high. Uh, we are going through some resets that we saw earlier this year with Omicron coming out, other issues affecting uh, overall demand profiles. But for the most part, I think we're going to still see a pretty constructive uh, demand trend that will about mimic last year's overall trend with a continued rise through the summertime. Uh, we probably won't hit, hit an all-time high, uh, but it's still going to be very constructive, at least supportive for uh, continued price support, for that matter, and into a rising summer profile. One thing to keep in mind, and you allude to it around the hurricane issue, Jason, is that inventories currently remain low, even with high refinery utilization. And that low inventory level creates um, a lot of volatility around price, potentially, if demand surprises the upside or refinery downtime surprises the downside from loss of supply. We don't have a lot of cushion. And why would inventories be low right now? Well, it's really because the prompt market prices are so high and the futures curves are typically backwarded, meaning future prices are lower than the current market. So no one has any incentive to carry inventory right now to carry a cushion for a potential supply disruption. So the physical barrels are disincentivized to be stored and resume restocking to what we'd normally see as typical levels. No one wants to get caught holding the value of a, a gallon of gasoline that's, you know, four plus dollars a gallon and see the market deflate to, you know, 10, 20, 30, 50 cents or whatever the price drop might afford uh, with any uh, currents that mimics what the futures curves dictate right now. So inventories remain low despite the high refinery runs. So we are dependent on, uh, how should I say, very stable uh, reliable operations at a time of year that the Gulf Coast would normally see hurricane season disruptions. And this year's hurricane forecast is directionally a little bit higher than historical averages. And yeah, the intensity of the storms 
for a range of reasons. Many people uh, identify with climate change impacts and whatnot, making the storms more severe. But the fact of the matter is the Gulf Coast refining system is very robust, is designed around and prepared for these types of storms. And for that matter, ever since Katrina in 2005 and storms since, a lot of the assets have been hardened. Uh, you know, we've learned a lot operationally through past years. So I, even though we're going to see potential exposures and some disruptions, long-term outages, I think I wouldn't bet against. Um, sure, they could happen, but I don't think they will contribute to long-term loss of supply through the balance of hurricane season in the Gulf Coast, for that matter. So, yeah, we're in for a robust uh, high price season and uh, you know the supply issues on crude will continue to support gasoline prices uh, and demand I think will still be relatively strong through the balance of driving season to keep things pretty tight um, so with that um, I wish you a happy driving season Jason and uh, hope we avoid some storms and uh, and enjoy some vacation time. Stephen, as always, is a pleasure. He has an encyclopedic mind when it comes to these sort of things. Stephen Jones, Senior Vice President, Global Head of Oil Products at Argus Media. Mr. Jones, as always, thanks for the time, and we will talk to you again soon, my friend. Thank you, Jason. Take care, buddy. And with that, we conclude another edition of Driving Discussions, a production of Argus Media. We thank Stephen for spending some time with us today. Make sure to check out the other episodes in our series, and for more information on Argus's global refined products coverage, visit argusmedia.com forward slash oil dash products. 